All right, so you are in the doctrine section of our equip seminar uh, for 2022-2023. It's the new way that we're doing this, uh, where each of our four classes are going to speak towards the same subject. This this uh, year, the subject is going to be the school year. The subject is going to be uh, the church. Uh, who the church is and what the church should do. And we're going to come at that from four different angles. Uh, I, I think you're getting the best one first, not because I'm teaching it. But I do think having a doctrinal foundation is going to help when you go to some of these, some of the other, other classes. So I, I think you're going to get a little bit of, of a leg up uh, because we're going to ask some big picture, big Bible questions and over the next eight weeks, seek to answer those questions that will then will, will help you kind of build this doctrinal foundation that when you go into the apologetics class or the worldview class or the exegesis class, which are the other three, you're going to be able to build off of. And of course, you could make an argument that some of the things that they're doing is, is going to be helpful when those people get in here. Hopefully, you'll stick with this for the 32 weeks that we have planned. And there's also in the back a schedule because there's some weeks that we miss. We take a break after each semester. We take a, a lengthy break at Christmas, and we come back together. So um, you'll want to you'll grab one of those if you've not seen the schedule, because you don't want to be here on a, on a Wednesday that we're not going to be here. But in total, it's going to be 32 weeks, uh, eight, eight classes each. And if you stick with this, I, I truly believe this, if you stick with this, you're, you're going to have, I, I think, a at least a, a college level, if not even a seminary level, understanding of the doctrine of the church. Uh, from this class, from the exegesis class, from the worldview class, and from the apologetics class, those are ways that we are trained. Pastors, and, you know, ministers, guys that go to seminary are kind of trained to think about these things, and we take classes very, very similar to this. And so th this, I, I hope you stick with it. If you stick with this for 32 weeks, you're, you're going to know a lot of things and, and have thought through some things that maybe you knew beforehand, but you, you hadn't really processed from every angle like we're, like we're going to process it. So maybe that's going to be, I hope this is going to be very beneficial. We're really excited for the way that we're starting. Every week, we're going to start with uh, some discussion, and I want you to do this at your table. So if you're just at a table of two, you may want to team up with a table of two or three, um, unless, you know, you, you just want to have a conversation with two, that's fine. Um, but I want you to talk about this at your table. The idea is going to be that you get thinking about the things that we're going to talk about. And then in today's lesson, we're going to do two different implication and application discussion times. Some weeks I'll just do one, depending on the way that the material breaks out. So today we're going to do two. So the goal of all four of our classes is that we do about 60% instruction and 40% implication, application, discussion. So that you, that the congregation, the body, is going to be equipping one another uh, as we kind of give you the information to do that with. Does that make sense? So one of the ways that we do that is by helping each other think about these things um, and, and get our minds going. And so our first question, the question that I want you to talk about at your tables is what are some common reasons Christians would give as to why they neglect the study of doctrine? 
So not the doctrine of the church. We're just thinking doctrine in general today. Uh, we're going to end with the doctrine of the church. But why, why would people not want to come to this class? That's, that's, a, that's another way of phrasing it. Maybe for you, you may want to just be really honest with the people around you and say, these are my reservations. Um, this is why you may be hesitant to, to study doctrine or, or why you think other people may be hesitant to study doctrine. And hopefully then what we'll do is see uh, why it is helpful for us to do that. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause the recording and I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk at your tables about that question. All right, so... The, right as we were getting started, uh, one of our tables asked for a definition of the word doctrine, and I intentionally didn't give one. Uh, I'm going to give one here in a few minutes. Um, but I, I want these opening questions just to be, what are your initial thoughts? And that's, that's most of the weeks what we're going to do, just kind of get us thinking about some things. Um, and if, if, I, if I tell you what to think before you think it, then you won't be really honest with each other. And that, that actually is probably one of the main reasons I listened. I tried to listen in on some tables. Um, one of the things that, that, that I think several of you probably mentioned and is probably a leading, leading cause that or leading reason people would give for why they don't study doctrine is they don't really know what they don't know. And so there's an intimidation factor that when you hear, and, and I'm, look, I intentionally pushed your button early, okay? I told you that if you come to these 32 weeks, you're going to get like a college to seminary level education. I did that on purpose because it raised some of your blood pressure by 15 points, you know? Sort of like, this is not where I parked my car. I don't want to be here. Why did I sign up for this? I just thought I was coming to eat a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Why, why, why do I have to... That was, I, I'm doing this on purpose, okay? Because we, we, have this, we have this fear a little bit of things we don't know, maybe feeling like the person next to us does know, and, and we don't. And by the way, we intentionally did that as we were putting these groups together. Jay did a great job putting these groups together, and I looked at it, and one of the questions that we were asking was, is there a mixture of several different components, one of them being longevity in the Christian walk? Are there people in here who have been dedicated to these things for a long time? And are there people in here who maybe haven't been so that we can help one another? We were also looking for mixtures of life experiences, mixtures of, uh, of demographics and age and gender and all of those things so we can help one another. But it was one of the things that we were looking for. So there are probably people in this room that know more than you. And there are likely people in this room that know a little less than you. But that's, that's definitely one of the reasons people don't. I think another reason people don't, and I heard some of you say this, is people don't know what the, why it would be important. Why do I need to do that? Isn't it? Because you'll hear people say this sometimes. Well, I, my Bible's enough. I just, as long as, if I just know my Bible, then, then, then I know all the, all the doctrine I need. Well, that's true, our doctrine should definitely be based on Scripture, and that's the argument that I'm going to make, that, that Scripture is the foundation for all doctrinal arguments that we're going to make. Um, but you simply saying, or someone simply saying, well, I I'm just going to know my Bible. Um, the Bible's really big. It was written by a lot of people over the course of a long time in foreign cultures, 
uh, on ideas that are sometimes difficult to wrap our minds around if we don't think about it in, in a, in a uh, systematic way and if we, we don't have an approach to it like what we're going to try to do uh, in this class. Are there, are there other reasons that people may have given that you just want to mention quickly? I think those are probably the primary two. Steve? We're like, we are lazy. No, that's a great, that's great. Sometimes we don't, we just don't want to do it. And we, we recognize this require a lot of work, right? Um, and, and here's what I know, but like a lot of you have, have been at work all day. Some of you are tired, but a lot of you have been at work all day. And uh, maybe you got up early this morning, went to work. You've been at work 8, 10, 12 hours a day. And here you're going to come here and, uh, and, and we're going to take a, you know, college level class on, on the church for the next eight weeks or 32 weeks. You and I just don't know that I have this, have this in me. Here's what I want to I want to convince you of why this is important. But I want you to hear it first off. It is, I, I, and and you're capable of doing this. You you really are. So before we can talk about the doctrine of the church, we have to talk about our approach. What approach are we going to take to organizing what the Bible says, so that we then can understand what the doctrine of the church is and the approach that we take is known as systematic theology. Now, again, that's a big word that you may think, I, I don't know what that means. I, I need a definition. And I am still going to define doctrine for you, but after I define systematic theology. Here's the definition of systematic theology. This is the most basic. It's Wayne Grudem's definition in uh, his systematic theology book. He says that systematic theology is any study that answers the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? So systematic theology is any study that answers the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? Now, do you notice on the syllabus that I gave you after this week, the next seven weeks are all questions. And the re so next week, we're talking about what is the church. And week three, we're talking about what does the church do and what is... Uh, who is part of the church? All of them are phrased as questions. Well, why would I phrase them as questions? Because that's what systematic theology is seeking to answer, is what does the whole Bible have to say to us today about these topics? Now, here's the definition of a doctrine. You ready? It's profound. It's whatever the whole Bible has to say about any given topic. That is what a doctrine is. So the doctrine of the church, from, from, for, our, for the way we're going to use that language today, we're defining terms, the way we're going to use the language for the next eight weeks for the doctrine of the church is, what does the whole Bible teach us about the church? So not just part of the Bible, but the whole Bible. So there are other theological disciplines that people use that are good, but that aren't systematic theology. So I'm going to make a case for why we're doing what we're doing in here for the next two months compared to some of the other things that we could do and maybe one day will do um, when we were thinking through equipped topics for us to address in, in, in this year. Some of the ones that we mentioned, I would not approach systematically, but I would approach using some of these other disciplines. So if we keep on with this this format in years to come, I will likely use one or more of these disciplines, Lord willing, 
in teaching, uh, in teaching my portion of equip. But let's just think about other ways people think about it. One is historical theology. Historical theology asks certain questions about what people believed, church fathers, theologians, entire churches, what they have believed through, throughout history. So there are entire people that, you know, there are people that have dedicated their entire lives to studying Augustinian theology. And Augustinian theology is from uh, Augustine, the, one of, one of uh, who we, we consider, many consider to be the father of theology, right? Live, live you know, 1,600 years ago. Um, uh, th- then there's, there's, you know, theologies that, that, are, that are look at John Calvin's teachings or a broader sense, the reformers' teachings. So the, the people during the Reformation or the early church fathers, so people from the second and third and, and fourth century. So th- those are historic theologies that can be at times very helpful. And there are times that we may mention what some of those guys taught. There may be things that I bring up and show how these things have changed from one to another. But that's not the kind of theological study we're going to be doing. We're going to be asking the question, what does the whole Bible have to say about this topic? Another is philosophical theology. This looks beyond the Bible. Philosophical theology does. It looks beyond the Bible to some some philosophical ideas about God that may or may not be true, that may be influenced by the Bible, uh, and may influence what people believe about the Bible, but it's using philosophical ideals and ideas uh, to, to craft the doctrine. We're not doing that. We're always going to ask the question, what does the Bible have to say about this, about this subject, about this topic? Another is actually what Pastor Brian's doing in his class, and that's apologetic theology. That's where we're asking the question, what are the arguments against these theologies? And how do we help people who don't believe this come to a right understanding of it? So when you rotate, you'll do Pastor Brian's group uh, as the third. His is the, the third group. So you won't do it next, next quarter. You'll do it the third quarter. Um, and you're going to actually cover some of the same things. Our, our syllabuses look kind of similar. But in that class, we're going to be talking about how do we help people get there. So, so how do we address some of the objections that people have? And how do, we, how do we witness to our lost friends when they say, why do you get up every Sunday morning and go to church? Why would you leave work and come on a Wednesday night, right? That's apologetics, but we're not doing that in here. The final one I want to mention is, is known as biblical theology. You may say, well, isn't that what we're doing? Well, the terminology can get a, we can get a little lost sometimes in, in the words that we use. Biblical theology differs from systematic theology uh, in that it, it doesn't necessarily ask what does the whole Bible have to say on a topic. Biblical theology does one of two things. It either traces specific themes throughout the Bible. For instance, the theme of kingdom, right? There's a really big book in my office called Kingdom Through Covenant, which is a biblical theology on how God establishes his kingdom through covenants with people, right? That's not a systematic theology. It's a biblical theology. Another branch of biblical theology is looking at specific authors of the Bible and determining what they said. So you could look at the doctrine of the church through a biblical theology lens and say, what did Paul say about the Bible? And you could develop what is known as a Pauline doctrine of the church, but it would still be incomplete. It's helpful. 
it's helpful to know what Paul said about the church. I have, I have several in my office. One's on, on Lucan theology. It's what the theology that Luke presents in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, right? And it doesn't matter what else. It's just looking at, at those things. But for our purposes, our goal is going to be to ask the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about this topic, the topic of the church? So then why? Why does this actually benefit us? How is this a good thing for us to dedicate these four weeks uh, for you, the first quarter here in this uh, equipped seminar that we're doing? I want to give you four things that I think are beneficial to us uh, to study the Bible in this way, not just studying the church, but to study the Bible. So we could do this on the doctrine of salvation We could do this on the doctrine of God. We could do this on the doctrine of man. We could do this on the doctrine of the end times. We could do this on lots of doctrine, right? But why is it beneficial to approach the Bible and to organize ourselves systematically asking the question, what does the whole Bible have to say on a topic? So let me give you four things. First, it does bring us to a better knowledge of God and his word. It brings us to a better knowledge of God and his word. Now, what we're not saying here is that we need to replace our our study, our dedication of God's Word, our devotional study to God's Word, and replace that reading with readings of systematic theologies. That's not what what the argument is. Nobody's saying that uh, reading what other people have written about doctrines of the Bible should somehow replace our own study of the Bible itself. But it does help us in our study of the Bible. So we should see doctrinal reading, systematic theology reading, the reading that you're going to do for this class, which I'm going to address uh, in the next section. We should see that reading as, as supplemental to and beneficial for our, our devotion to Bible reading. So I hope you are dedicated to reading the Bible. I imagine if you're willing to give up your Wednesday evenings for 32 weeks to come and study the, the church together, that you at least have some dedication to God's Word and a desire at least. Maybe early, maybe this is one of the first times you've done something like this. At least there's some desire within you to say, I, I want to know what the Bible has to say, or at least I'm willing to hear Pastor Ryan out about what the Bible has to say and and approaching these doctrines in this systematic, organized, that's where the word systematic theology comes from. It's the word systematic, a system, an an organized way, right? As we do that, it increases our knowledge so that when we get to difficult sections of the Bible, systematic theology has had a great impact on my Bible reading, particularly places where I get to difficult parts. Like, I don't really know what this is about. But I've done a lot of systematic theology study, and I can start to compartmentalize, and I, I can say, this is, this is how this is influencing this. There are other things that, that do as well. So that's number one. Number two, it consolidates and clarifies biblical ideas. Consolidates and clarifies biblical ideas. There are some ideas that are grounded in Scripture and are essential to the Christian faith that are never actually directly mentioned in Scripture itself. Let me give you probably the best example of this. We are, and the church of God has been since the beginning of the church. 
distinctly Trinitarian. Trinitarian means that we believe that God has eternally existed in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? That Jesus wasn't created in the same sense that we are created, that, that Jesus existed even before Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus existed even before the world was made to be, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit have eternally existed with the Father. That's known as Trinitarian theology. And we are distinctly Trinitarian people. That is what all Orthodox Christians, all Christians that believe in the, the, the core basic tenets of Christianity, believe in the Trinity. But that word never shows up in the Bible. You can search for it all you want to. You'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible. You'll find the mention of the Trinity in numerous places. You'll find the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit mentioned together. You'll find the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit mentioned apart. You'll find just the Father and the Holy Spirit, just the Son and the Holy Spirit, just the Father and the Son. You'll find those combinations, but never once do they say Trinity. You know where we get the term Trinity from? Because people did systematic theology. Because people asked the question, what does the whole Bible have to say about the doctrine of God? And as the early church asked those questions, they, they began to develop a theology that has stayed true and has it, it, it been embraced by the church. And when I say that word, I mean like the church. Since, since the New Testament times, since the early church fathers, we've been a Trinitarian people, even though you'll never find that word in there. So systematic theology helps us to clarify these biblical ideas. And so we, we don't need to be afraid of them. You know, we, we, we don't need to be afraid of systems and organizations in this way, um, we don't want to be slaves to them, but we, but we want to allow the, the work that previous Christians have done and the work that we'll do studying the Scriptures together to help us be more organized in our thinking about them. Number three, it brings organization to, usually disorganized, to a usually disorganized practice. The third benefit is that it brings organization to a usually disorganized practice. Practice. Here's why I say it's usually disorganized. When somebody asks you a Bible question, I'm guilty of this. You're guilty. We're all guilty of this. Our answer usually is to say, well, the Bible says, and then we say whatever Bible verse we've kind of memorized or half-heartedly memorized or kind of summarized in our own mind that deals with that subject. We don't consider what the whole Bible has to say about that subject. We kind of give that one word, well, the Bible says, and we kind of do this disorganized, we've, we've placed all of our, you know, eggs in this one versus basket. And there's some disorganization to that. It's, it, that that's not the best way to approach it. We, we want to seek to know what the whole Bible has to say, not just what one sound bite of the Bible has to say. I watch people do this with preachers all the time. Preachers will pull out a little 20-second soundbite of a preacher's sermon. They'll put it online. It's like, look, this guy's a heretic. I'm like, well, if you listen to the whole sermon, that wasn't what he was saying at all. And we can do that to the Bible, too. We'll pull out one little thing of the Bible, and we'll say, well, the Bible says this. It's like, well, that's not what the Bible says at all. If you actually read what the Bible is saying, what the whole Bible has to say, and we take it all in context. So one, that third benefit is it gives us some organization to our haphazard, sporadic answers to these questions. The fourth one is this helps us to fulfill the Great Commission. 
This is the argument I want to make for you, friends. Uh, We all have a charge from our Savior to make disciples that make disciples. Right? That is the mission of our church. That is the mission of God's church. Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples. And then what did he tell them in Matthew 28? Teaching them all that I have commanded you. How in the world can we do that? How can we teach, listen to the language, all, all, not some, not our favorite parts, not the easy stuff. How can we teach all that I have commanded you if we're not willing to give ourselves to learning all? Now, quick, you'll never learn it all. The the further I've progressed in my theological studies, and I'm about to graduate with my doctorate and be done with my theological study, at least the, at least that, the formal part of that, right? But the greatest lesson I've learned through getting a master's degree and a, and a doctorate in this stuff is um, I, how much I don't know. And that's most education. You know, the further you progress in education, really what you learn is how much you don't know. And that's what I've learned. And I'll spend the rest of my life, Lord willing, um, learning more than, 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 than I know now but I'll never know it all until I see Jesus face to face. And I do believe we'll get to know it all then. We won't know it all now, but we should be dedicated to it so that we can pass on to the next generation of disciples what it means to follow Jesus. A couple quick initial assumptions that we are going to make in this this room. First, the Bible is true. Now, I didn't say that you have to believe that. It may be that you're here and you're just really curious about what we're teaching and what we're studying together. Um, Maybe you don't believe the Bible's true. Maybe you have some doubts about the Bible's true. But this is the assumption that I'm making in what I'm teaching and the way that we approach Wednesday Night Equip is we approach Wednesday Night Equip believing that the Bible is true and so that we're going to go to Scripture for truth. And that's, we're going to do that together. Go to Scripture for truth. The second thing is that the God of the Bible exists, and He is who the Bible says He is. So really, the assumption that we're making, if, if I could just summarize these, the assumption that we're making is that we're Christians in the room. Now, that's a little different than the way that I preach on Sunday mornings. I primarily preach to Christians. Um... And I believe the majority of the people that gather here on Sunday mornings are Christians. But I am mindful of the fact that there may be non-Christians in the room. On Wednesday nights, while I still could be mindful of the fact there may be non-Christians in the room, I teach this. This is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. I teach this as if we all believe that the Bible is true. And that if we all believe that who the Bible says God is, is who God actually is. And so I, we go into that with this assumption. Now, let me do, let me do five more minutes on this, and then I'm going to give you a quick, I'm going to give you a quick break. I was told because this is an hour and 15 minutes long that I got to give people breaks. Okay. I'm going to do five more minutes. I'm going to give you a break. You can grab a coffee if you want to, but we're only going to do five minutes. We're going to come back. This hour and 15 minutes can go by really, really fast. Well, for me, it will. I don't know for you. Maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it's dragging. Last thing about systematic theology, and this may be the most important thing that I say. This is under the the subject there, theological triage. I think one of the most helpful and healthy things our church body does is that we practice theological triage. 
Uh, there's a lengthier description of this than I'm going to be able to give you in our Connect book, that blue magazine that we hand out to new people and that we use in our Connect class. And if you like predate that book around here and you've never re read page six, I'm almost positive, of that book um, that talks about theological triage, I'd invite you to go you know, grab one. We got to print new ones anyway because we have some information that needs to be updated. Grab one of those and read that. I think it's the most helpful thing Almost most helpful thing in the book. I talk about it when I teach Connect Class 1. Really quick, theological triage means that all of the doctrines of the Bible are important, but some are more important than others. Just like, this is where you are used to that word, everybody that comes into the ER is important. But some people in the ER are more important than others. And so if you've ever been in the ER and you, know, you have a sprained knee, but somebody else is coming in clutching their chest, guess who's going to get seen first, right? The person clutching their chest. Because the nurses in the ER are going to practice what's known as triage, making the more important things more important. And we do that too as theologians. We must practice theological triage. And we tend to do it in three sections. First, second, and third tier. Or first, second, and third order. I tend to use those, those things um, I meant to bring a book in here. I have a book uh, by Gavin Ortland called Finding the Right Hill to Die On. If this is a subject that interests you, it's an easy book to read. It's not super long. You can buy that on Amazon. Finding the Right Hill to Die On is a great treatment of this, of this subject. A shorter treatment of it is Al Mohler's article. It's online. If you Google Al Mohler and theological triage, there's an article he wrote probably a decade ago uh, that, that's also helpful. But here's the premise. First order things are doctrines that all Christians believe. People may say they're a Christian, but if they don't believe these things, they're not a Christian. Christians believe that there is one God who created the heavens and the earth. Christians believe that that God has existed eternally as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christians believe that Jesus is the Son of God who lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, and was raised to life by the power of the Father, will one day return to judge the living and the dead. You can think about first order doctrines as being the Apostles' Creed, if you're a, a familiar with, with historic confessions of faith. The Apostles' Creed really is almost all first order. These are things that make people Christian. These are things Christians believe. Second order, second tier doctrines are things that we believe. Now, we believe first order things, but our church, what makes us distinct as a church believe things that other Christian churches who affirm those first order things may not agree with us on, right? So baptism is a, great, is a great example of this. We baptize by immersion those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. A conservative Presbyterian church may baptize uh, as a sign of the covenant, of the covenant family of God, may baptize infants, right? We would say, that's not what baptism is. They would look at us and say, that's not bapti what baptism is. But we can both say, you're a Christian and your church preaches the gospel. And they could say that about us. And there could be churches that there are lots of examples of what this could be. But I would probably, I wouldn't go pastor one of those churches. If a church baptizes infants, they're not going to call me to be the pastor, right? If somebody wants us to baptize their infants, they're not going to come join our church, Right? Because we're distinct in that. And I can say, you're a brother in Christ, but we're going to be distinct enough that we're going to have separate churches. Third order things are things we should never divide over. 
Um, meaning you ought to be able to disagree with people in your small group. You ought to be able, certainly be able to disagree with people in our church. Meaning even our elders ought to be able to disagree over some of these third order things. And us still all serve faithfully together. And we do. Um, I, I was actually listening to Gavin Ortland, who I told, said wrote that book. He actually now has a podcast that he does uh, where he's going through and like doing theological triage on some things. And I've always used this as an example. Uh, for years I've used this as an example. And then I, I listened to him actually do this today and it was really helpful for me. Um, but Doctrine of the End Times is, is a great example, right? It's first order to believe that Jesus will return. That's first order. Because if Jesus isn't going to return, what in the world, right? What are we even doing? It's third order to think that Jesus is going to either secretly rapture the church or not rapture the church. There's going to be a great tribulation. There's a literal millennial reign of Christ, a figurative millennial reign of Christ. Listen, folks, none of that's happened yet. How in the world can we speak definitively about any of it and seek to divide the church over it? That's third order, right? So it's what makes us a Christian, what makes us a church, what we should be convinced in our own hearts and study doctrine, and but still not be willing to divide the church over. And I say this is super helpful for our church because it keeps us unified and healthy. It keeps us from fighting over things that we shouldn't fight over. And so when we're going through the doctrine of the church over this, these couple of months, there are going to be times that I'm like, this is a first order thing. This is a second order thing. We may dabble in a few third order things, but there's probably not a lot of third order things in this doctrine but there, there, there may be a couple, and if they are, I'll, I'll be sure to, to point them out. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you a five-minute break, okay? So we're going to come back at 7.01. You need to grab a coffee, grab a water, use the restroom. If you didn't sign in when you were coming in, uh, please make sure that you do that, and I'm going to pause the So what I want you to do now, we're going to do another uh, discussion at, the, at your table. There are two questions. I think it's – yeah, I did. There are two questions on the on – the, top of the back of your, your page there. Um, I think you'll have time to, to discuss both of them. The first is how does disorganized, the Bible says, quote unquote, theology limit a believer's ability to rightly divide God's word? So how does the way, let's just be honest, we often approach scripture, how does that hurt us? All right. And the second is, what are the dangers of an individual or congregation failing to practice theological triage? So that last thing I talked about with uh, first, second, and third tier doctrines, what's the danger of both a, a congregation and an individual uh, when, we, when we make things either more important than they should be or we make things less important? than they should be. Because you can fail theological triage in both directions, okay? So what's, try to, try to maybe take, I have 10 minutes on my schedule here. Maybe take four minutes for each one of those, something like that, and then we'll, we'll see what the answers are. I'm gonna pause here. All right, it, it sounds like some of you have finished. I wanna I want move us along, but I, I wanna give you a chance to kind of answer as a group. What's the, that first one? Just somebody tell us, what's one of the things your table said was a, how, do, how does disorganized, the Bible says, theology limit a believer's ability to rightly divide God's word? How are we limited when we approach God's word in that way? Well, what we talked about here, and very please jump in and save me on this, is that if you focus on just a specific passage and you don't take everything in 
as a whole, you can you come up with feel good feel good gospels, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, or you distort the gospel, you don't talk about God's word, and you you can send wrong messages of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a disciple. Yeah, yeah, you can end up way on one way on the side of licentiousness, or way on the side of legalism, really quick. You know, you. You know, I heard some of y'all talking about verses that aren't even in the Bible that people think are in the Bible, or you know, we pull out these little parts of the Bible. Um, th these are these are known as proof texts. That's what that's called when somebody just has it. When when somebody just has a, well, you know, the Bible says it's called a proof text. That's not looking at that text in context. That's just them wanting to say what they want to say. High school kids call it a life verse. A life verse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, look, there's a lot. I got, I got some pet peeves over some of them. I'll be honest with you. I mean, whoo. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of them. Some of them get posted on July 4th. It drive me crazy. Um, Bible's not talking about America, but we try to make it talk about America all the time. So, so that's good, right? We, got, we want to have a whole view, right? Big picture. Uh, what about the dangers of not practicing theological triage? Danger. Disunity. Disunity, yeah. You spend way too much time studying third tier when you maybe don't understand first and second tier. Yeah, that's good. You make the little things look really, really big things. Mm -hmm. And that, when we think about theological triage, that's most, even when I teach on it, when I taught y'all on it, that's most often the angle that we take. Don't take the little things and make them big things. Because normally when I teach on that subject, I'm teaching on it in Connect class, promoting the unity of our church. And I value the unity of our church. We are a unified, gospel-believing church. I want us to stay that way. And to do that, we have to practice this. But let me tell you what... You just give you an example really quick of things go the other way. There, there, are, there are warnings of history of not taking third tier and making them first tier, but making, taking first tier and making nothing, you know, and, and, and bringing it down. The, the modern state of the mainline, um, of mainline denominations, Protestant denominations in the United States, uh, are the way that they are. Because in the late 1800s and early 1900s, they embraced theological liberalism that said everything is negotiable at the top. And so you can deny the virgin birth. You can deny the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. You can deny the inerrancy of Scripture and still be a part of the church. And so the church does have to say these are things we're going to hold. The minute the church starts wavering on things that are really clear and really important or even things that make us distinct as a congregation. And we're seeing that even in some Baptist churches. I mean, there are Baptist churches that are admitting members um, um, based off of, off of an infant baptism. Now, are those people Christians? Sure, they're Christians, but I can't admit... like the. The, a generation later, we're not baptizing anybody. That, that's what happened. That's what we see. When we start taking doctrine that was at one time first tier, second tier, and moving it down the ladder. So it's important to kind of guard, guard both ways. Uh, in one sense, to promote unity, theological clarity, 
but in another to, to guard the doctrine of the church, uh, of the universal church for first-tier issues and of the local church for second-tier issues. So now we are going to talk about the doctrine of the church. That's the whole subject, but I felt like I needed to spend that first part uh, introducing how we're going to study. And now we're going to talk about what we're actually going to study. And this is just in, this is intro-level stuff. We're just going to really, really define some terms and talk about our, our, our approach here. But the doctrine of the church is known as ecclesiology. That's the big word, okay? You know the word ology or the ending, the suffix ology means study of, right? In Latin, means study. So anything with the word ology on the end of it is the study of something. Um, the word ecclesia is a Greek word that means assembly or congregation. It's the word used in the Old Testament the Greek version of the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but they, they, re, they translated it into Greek. It was known as the Septuagint. And any time Israel would gather together, they were the assembly, the ecclesia. And the New Testament authors just took the word, really, because they saw it as the same thing, the people of God. And they took the word from the Old Testament, and that's what they used in the New Testament. So most often when, when we see the word church in the New Testament, it's a translation of the word ecclesia, which is just assembly, congregation. It is the gathered people of God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to study the doctrine, the main do- big doctrine, so individual doctrines contained within the, the, the study of the church. So let me, let me talk about how we're going to do it and just introduce the book to you briefly. First off, if you're wondering, like systematic theology, it is a practice, but it is also references a specific kind of book, several of which I have in my library and in my office here. This is one example of it, and I brought this specific one for a reason. Uh, this is called A Theology for the Church. It's divided in... Probably eight, seg- uh, all, yeah, there's eight sections. Most systematic theologies are eight chapters, nine chapters, something like that. And they're all divided in big theology of God, theology of the Bible, theology of Jesus, the, right, the, the doctrine of all of these things. And, and that's what this one is. Uh, most systematic theologies are actually written by one person. Um, I often reference Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, uh, Millard Erickson's Christian theology, uh, John Frame's systematic theology. I have those in my office, and I will quote those things sometimes in sermons. I'll probably quote them in 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 our study in here. Um, this one is unique in that it's not the only one. But it's the only one that I own that's this way. That it's written more uh, as a uh, each section is written by a different author. So Danny Aiken, who's the president at Southeastern Seminary, uh, compiled this book. He was edited this book in 2007. This is the second edition. It was published in 2014. Um, and got really the best people in the field in Baptist theology, because Danny's obviously the president of a Baptist seminary, has been for a long time. And so he got the best people to come and write each chapter. The best person on the, the doctrine of the church in Baptist life, without question, and it is unchallenged, is Mark Dever. 
He pastors Capitol Hill Baptist Church in, um, in Washington, D.C. He is the head of an organization, a ministry known as Nine Marks. Um, and Mark has, for decades now, studied and written about and argued for a biblical understanding and practice of the local church. He wrote the chapter in this book, and it's really good. And I thought, I really want my people that I'm doing this class with to read Mark Dever's chapter from this book. The problem is, this book's really big. And if I said that this is what we were going to study, none of you would have shown up. And it's like $50, $60 normally to buy this book. And then I discovered, I did not know this until just a couple of months ago. But in 2011, 10 years ago, Mark took the chapter from this book and published it in its own book. Amen. It's word for word. Like, as best I can tell, it is word for word. The chapter in here is what you're reading. So this is one chapter of this, but fortunately, this, this is all it is. And what he does, you'll notice on the syllabus, is there's a reading plan. Because what Mark does is he seeks to answer... Uh, Eight different things about what the Bible says, right? That's part one of the book, is what the Bible says about the nature of the church, the attributes of the church, the marks of the church, the membership of the church. Part two is about history, what the church has kind of believed and practiced on some of these things. And part three is the practical implication and application of these doctrines uh, on things like uh, membership and the structure and leadership of the church and and what does it mean to be Baptist? Because he is a Baptist. This is Baptistic, definitely. Um, so what I've done in your reading guide is, is not asking you to read it in order. I'm asking you to read it kind of out of order, where you'll read most weeks one of the sections on what does the Bible say, which is typically going to be, so if you'll look, like next week, I'm asking you to read pages 3 through 20. So that's 17 pages. That's manageable. And then pages 91 through 98. So that's another eight pages. That's, that's manageable. It's around 25 pages. That's about what it's going to be every week. And so you'll read, you'll read one of the what does the Bible say things and then either one of the history or one of the practical things. And I've paired them to where they'll make sense to why you're reading them together. Okay, at least I hope it's going to make sense of, of why you're reading it together. Um, you don't have to do the reading to come to class. And I'm not going to use this I'm not going to use his outline, okay? But I will answer questions from it, and we will, what the reading that you do between now and next Wednesday is going to cover what I'm teaching, or at least a portion of what I'm going to teach in the doctrine next week. So you're going to read about um, what is the church next, you know, between now and next Wednesday. You're going to read about the nature of the church, and you're going to read about the history of, of the idea of the church. You're going to read those two chapters. And then we're going to come in here and I'm going to talk, what does the whole Bible have to say about, about the church? Okay, so that's the way that we're going to approach it with our reading. And um, I, I really think this is an academic work, okay? But I, I really think you'll be blessed if you give yourself, give yourself time, try to read a couple of three pages a day, make some notes, get a highlighter out, okay? Um, but Mark does a good job, I think, in general of writing in this book um, in a way that is accessible. It's why Danny called this a theology for the church. He wanted church members to be able to read his book, 
even though it's really big and kind of, kind of expensive, okay? So why should we study the doctrine of the church? Number one, two reasons really quick. The church is the gospel made visible. That's, the, that's on the cover here. That's the argument that Mark makes in the introduction of his book is that, uh, is that the church is the visible gospel, that, that we are the gospel on display, right? And so the better we align our church with God's will for what the church should be, the better we reflect his gospel. So the, the more closely we resemble the function and, and practice and belief of a biblical church, the better we reflect towards one another, the gospel of Jesus, and, and to our community, the gospel of Jesus. Number two, the church will always experience pressure to retain or embrace error. And so we are constantly battling error. These pressures are going to come. I've listed four here. You're going to talk about them in a minute. Four directions from which we get these pressures to either embrace new error or retain error that has existed within us. First is cultural or societal pressure. The church is under extreme cultural and societal pressure right now. And it's not going away. It's probably going to get worse. And it's, I, don't, I don't hand ring over that. I don't preach a lot of sermons on it. I just preach the text. If it comes up in the text, we deal with it. But we have to recognize that there are churches, assemblies, congregations of people that claim the name of Christ that are capitulating to the world just left and right. I mean, they are giving in to the world's way of thinking of gen- on gender or marriage uh, or in, on things the life on things the Bible says really clearly about that that they're they're giving in because of the cultural pressure. Um, another is is traditional. There it is. It, there's pressure within a church to remain to to maintain some traditions that are actually errors. You, you know, you ever heard, you, you must have been around church long enough to have heard somebody say, well, we've just always done it like that. Mm-hmm. Well, why have we always done it like that? <laughs> and sometimes we've always done it like that in wrong. Because some things the Bible doesn't address and we can just do them that way because that's the way we like to do them, you know. But sometimes there are denominations that have, have kept distinctions within their denomination simply because those same distinctions trace back two or three hundred years, and why would they change now? You know, well, maybe because the Bible's given us a different way of doing it, and, and we should reject that pressure. Another is preferential. Why do we do it like that? Well, because we like to do it like that, right? <laughs> and and there's going to be pressure for people um, to for for the church to do things that are that are simply other people's preferences. The last one is actual sinful pressure. Now, we would see the cultural pressure is sinful, but I would, I would even say there, there's pressure within the church that arises in the church, um, apathy and laziness, like that, that we would embrace sin, that we would embrace unholiness, unrighteousness, um, just because, well, we don't want to have to deal with it. We, wanna, we don't want to have to do the hard work of doing what the Bible tells us. So we should study the doctrine of the church so we can we resist those pressures. 
All right, last thing. How should we study the doctrine of the church? I want to give you six things. I'm going to do these really quick because I have that question. I have a question I want you to consider. Number one, prayerfully. Following, you know, we cry out with the psalmist, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, right? So we want to, we want to approach any doctrine we're studying, we want to approach in, in prayer. And I do realize I didn't pray for us when we started. I'm going to pray when we get done. Um, we want to approach it humbly. We want to approach it with humility because I promise you, I mean, remember I said we're going to get to heaven and, and we're going to find out, we're going to get to learn everything. I am 100% certain of this one fact. I'm going to get there and find out I was wrong on something. And uh, it's going to be okay. And it's not that the Bible was wrong. It was that my understanding of it was wrong. But so will the person that's disagreeing with me on something else, right? We're all going to get there and be wrong about something. So part of theological triage is humility. That, that, that I don't have to be dead set on everybody agreeing with me on every little minute detail of everything. Number three, with reasonableness. You see, we are free to use our reasoning abilities that God gave us. Reason is a gift of God. Uh, we're free to use those reasoning abilities to draw deductions from any passage of Scripture so long as those deductions don't contradict clear teachings of some other passage. So we can read Acts 6 and say, all right, Acts 6 can then guide the way that we nominate and affirm deacons in the life of our church, that's, that's a reasonable assumption for us because we're not told in anywhere else to do it any other way, okay? So that we can use reason in some of these things. And, and so, Number four, with help. That's why we're reading the book. We, we need help. There are giants of, the, you know, uh, giants of the faith that have gone before us. Number five, using what I have described at the beginning, the systematic method, that we will find relevant passage, passages, determine the, determine the points made in those passages, and summarize the teachings and doctrine. So you say, you know, for, for us to be talking about doing systematic theology, find out what the whole Bible has to say on the subject, I hadn't read the Bible once. You're right, because I'm introducing an idea to you today. But we will read a lot of Bible in here. I need you to bring your Bible. And for anybody willing, I need you to be willing to read Bible. Okay? If you did any doctrine classes with me pre-COVID, you'll know this. Um, I, I'm going to give a big list of Scripture, and then I'm, I don't have time to get to all of it. So I'm just going to say, all right, somebody read this for me. and Somebody read this for me. And we're, we're going to have to be on it because we're going to look at a lot of Scripture in here on e trying, to answer, trying to answer these questions. Right? And the last is with praise and thanksgiving. I don't like everything the Bible says to me. Sometimes some of the things the Bible says are hard. Some of it's, some of it's difficult to understand. Some of it's difficult to digest. Some of it's difficult to live out. But I thank God for it and that he's changing me by it. All right, last thing I want you to talk about. You just got a couple of minutes. Which of the above mentioned pressures? I want you to think of those, those specific pressures. Cultural, societal, traditional, preferential, sinful. Do you think are most likely to influence the practices of our local church? I'm going to try every week for our final question to be an our local church question. Because at the end of the day, this is Nansman River Baptist Church, the saints of Nansman River Baptist Church, equipping one another. That's what we're doing in here. And we need to think about our church. So what of those pressures do you think are, are, are most likely to influence the practices of our church? You only got a couple of minutes to 
discuss that, and then um, I'll pray for us, and we'll be done because we're trying to end on time. All right, so discuss that at your table, and then I'll bring us back in just a moment. All right. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be dedicated to giving you more time on this last subject. And if you don't have kids to pick up and you want to stay for five more minutes and keep talking about it, you can. But I've been given strict instructions to let people pick their kids up on time, okay? Um, so here, here's what I want to do. Let me give you a couple of little logistical things. If you didn't sign in and grab a book, you can do so. Um, you can just bring the little envelope back on Sunday. You don't have to give that to us today. Uh, but make sure you check your name off. If your name, for some reason, isn't on that list, write your name at the bottom, and we'll get you registered in our group. Um, if you miss a week, all of these are going to be online, and you'll need to circle back through, okay? Um, there are going to be a couple of weeks that I'm not going to be here, and I'm actually going to do the teaching early, and y'all will watch the teaching, and then whatever elders in the room that time, so Barry is going to help. Barry may not know that right now. Um, but Barry's going to help facilitate it a little bit. And, and, but but they'll, it'll, it'll be as if I'm here. Okay, so I'm going to do all eight weeks. It's going to be as if I'm here, but, but I've got a couple of things that I'm going to be gone for. Uh, but we're, we're plugging along on the schedule. So whether I'm here or not, we're, we're going to have class, okay? And then one other encouragement. You ready? This is your group for the next 32 weeks. We have been intentional with diversity and multi-generational and all of that. So sit with different people every week. Okay? There's young people in here. There's not young people in here. There, right? Sit with different people. and get. To, I promise you this. By, by, by week 32, y'all are going to be coming to us saying, can we just keep this same group next year? We, want, we don't want to go to a new group. Um, but, but that's going to come because we, we mix it up a little bit. So mix up the perspectives, mix up your tables, and uh, I look forward to, to a great time. So let me pray for us, and we'll be done. Thank you, God, for how you um, have given us your word in such a way that we can know uh, your will, and we can know your commands, and we can know your precepts, and we can love them. Uh, help us, God. Uh, to be dedicated to studying your word. And as we talk over the next two months about the church, help us, be, help us, God, to be dedicated to knowing what you have had to say on the subject of your church so that we can reflect your gospel made visible towards one another and uh, to our community. We thank you for this. We thank you, God, for how you'll use us to equip one another uh, over, the next, uh, over the next 32 weeks, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, sign in. Books are at the back if you didn't get one. Thank you for being here.